everybody or good evening, good afternoon, wherever you might be. Thanks for joining today. This is actually the third time we are doing an event together with R3 or SBI R3. We started three years ago with the Tokyo FinTech Meetup. One of our earliest sessions was the blockchain panel where we had Yamada-san representing R3. And at the time, Alisa was in Tokyo with the Asian Development Bank and kindly was moderating that panel. Now she's in New York and with R3, so it's a small world. 18 months ago, SBI R3 was launched as a joint venture for Asia, and we supported the launch event that was great at Binary Star in Ginza. I think we had like 150 people or so in the room. And so this is third time. Good time for another update. Obviously, things are moving very fast in the blockchain space. Alisa, who had the trade finance business, will cover some of the business application and use cases. I'm just going to give kind of a broad update of what's happening at R3 and Corda. So this is non-technical. This is really looking at what's happened over the past year, particularly what's happened over the past six months and how this is changing our business going forward. Before I start this, I just want to say like, I'm so excited to be here. It's really nice, you know, on the, on the three-year anniversary of the last time that we gave, a, the last time that I gave a presentation with the FinTech meetup and Norbert as well. So quick update. I'm just going to cover three topics. First, you know, where we are today, what's happening. Second, what's changed in 2020, obviously as a result of COVID. And then finally, what do we think next year is going to look like? So the first section is just where are we today? You know, what's interesting about R3 and really about blockchain in general is how quickly it's grown. R3 started out with nine banks. Within about a year, it became 42 banks. If you're familiar with digital ecosystems, you think, okay, well, that's just a group of banks. I mean, that's nice, but it's it doesn't really cover the ecosystem. But today, what we have is we have banks, we have logistics companies, we have corporates, insurers. So it really covers the whole gamut. So it's really, you know, the way that Corda has developed has become much more of a digital ecosystem rather than a destination platform, which is pretty exciting. In terms of employee growth, R3 itself has continued to expand. We have new offices in India, new offices in Dublin. So we're expanding our engineering teams. We've started to create a number of different engineering groups, which has been really critical to our ability to expand the platform in the way that we have. Corda is open source as well as enterprise. So while a lot of what we do is focused on making sure that the platform works, there's a lot of open source developers out there that are certified on Corda that are contributing to the code base. We have more than 3,000 developers now certified on Corda, so you can get a Corda certification, and that's continued to grow, which is exciting because you can really see the ecosystem of developers expanding. And then to get to the ecosystem, in institutional banking, Corda has become a fundamental part of the innovation process. It's very unusual to come across a bank that isn't working with Corda. And that's really what's helped us to grow outside of banking as well. Because anytime you have, say, a supply chain management piece of software or something that's looking at track and trace, eventually you get to the point where you want to facilitate a payment because you have the invoices, you have the purchase orders on the blockchain already. So that allows you to do this payment. And because we already have the infrastructure with the banks, that enables that to be quite a seamless expansion. So that obviously triggers the question of the R3 view on Quorum being sold to consensus. And if you ever are in a competitive situation, where do you meet the Quorum folks when there is a selection of a blockchain platform? 
Well, I think JP Morgan is a very smart bank, right? So what they initially did was they were building a blockchain. They saw a niche for this, that their clients were asking for it. But ultimately it was a product run by a bank and that's not the bank's main business. So I think what JP Morgan did by moving Quorum to consensus made a lot of sense because it never really made sense to have a blockchain run by a, a bank as kind of like a side business. So in terms of competition, I would actually argue it's kind of unusual that we're in direct competition with Quorum because the differences between public blockchains like Ethereum and Bitcoin and private permission blockchains like Corda or Fabric, they're used for very different use cases. Fundamentally, JP Morgan is like any bank. They just want to diversify their knowledge of technology. Um, and I think their decision to sell it was smart and made a lot of sense. All right, here's what I do at R3. I came from Asian Development Bank, but I had been working on digitization with corporates throughout the Asia Pacific region. And so a lot of what I've done at R3 is to help us expand beyond just the financial sector. We're doing great in trade finance and insurance, have a lot of that market coverage, but in supply chain, it was really something that was kind of new to us through the path that I had mentioned. But you can see now that we've grown the partner network, we have infrastructure partners that can help us with software as a service. We have network service providers. This is really what the ecosystem looks like. R3 Corda is just a platform. You know, we really, really depend on the ecosystem to be able to build applications on top and sell those applications to other application providers and create business networks everywhere. Our goal is mainly to build the platform and to assist application providers where they need it. The growth of this ecosystem has just been very rewarding and really helped us to expand beyond just the financial sector. So the second part of the presentation, the second question that I wanted to answer is just what's changed in 2020. The first is that obviously COVID threw everybody off their footing. At R3, we went to full work from home back in March. We've begun to return to the offices in September sort of trickling in at very reduced numbers. I have to be honest, I'm surprised, but none of our businesses, none of our network providers building on Corda ran into any fundamental trouble. Investment certainly was limited, but most of what they did was because they were no longer in the position where they had to produce new features every single week, they moved back and hardened the existing applications to make sure that they were going to be much more functional. So they went back and they looked at what happened during the pilot, the different the changes that they had to make. What I see coming out of COVID is that we actually have much stronger and much more sustainable applications than we did before, where we had a lot of features, but they were not well tested. That's been pretty interesting. Sustainability, I think, is another interesting part of this is around the new regulatory practices, new consumer preferences. We see a lot of the track and trace applications looking at ESG, looking at this element of, are they following labor standards? Are they following the sustainability practices required by the buyer? Which today, it's, it's a little difficult to monitor those. But if you use blockchain, it's fairly straightforward. The one challenge that I've heard, and, and this is kind of an interesting story, is I was talking to one large corporate provider, a retailer, and we were talking about how it was great the blockchain could really help make sure that the suppliers were following all the rules that the buyer had put in place. And the retailer was saying, but the one problem I have is I don't know how to tell consumers about this. Because if I go and I tell consumers that now using blockchain, we can certify that this cabbage came from this particular place and it, there were no pesticides used, the consumer will be happy, but the consumer will also ask, well, didn't you know that before? before you were telling me you knew where it came from. So it's a difficult business decision that some retailers need to make is how do you publicize this? 
or do you not publicize it? So, so these, are, these are questions that we see. And then I would guess the final trend is really around mobility. And this is quite interesting. We see Corda in particular being used in things like autonomous vehicles or drones, where there's not a heavy regulatory structure yet. And so therefore, there's, it's easy to use blockchain because there, what you're able to do is you don't have to work within existing parameters. You can create the parameters yourself. So we've seen a lot of really interesting projects in that space. Lisa, one question, maybe bridging a bit the technical side and the business side. There were lots of improvements in terms of scalability. So if you put bananas on the blockchain, that doesn't necessarily create the volume of transaction where you run into a scalability problem. What are some of the use cases that you've seen that really pushes the boundary on volumes, transactions per second in your clients? Well, I would say that a lot of the transactions per second, that's in the capital markets. That's very firmly in the financial sector. A lot of the supply chain, to your point, you're not doing millions of transactions per second. You're doing a a container load every two months or something. But that does get into the issue as well of IoT. So when you're using, when you're doing a supply chain app, what you're doing is often you might have a sensor that's associated with that app. And that sensor is reporting very frequent data. It may be reporting every 10 seconds. uh, It may be reporting every minute, but there's an enormous amount of data that is coming out of the sensor. So one of the things that we've been spending a lot of time on is how do you correctly integrate that with the blockchain? What you don't want to do is send all of that information onto your blockchain because that just makes it really heavy and slow and that that doesn't make sense. And that's data you don't really need, unlike financial transactions where you do have this high frequency. So what we've looked at is using blockchain to permission access to the data, which is stored off chain and then maybe aggregated in some way, depending on the use case. The issue of throughput is quite an interesting one, but it's also, it's actually not that many use cases, but it's some like very significant use cases. When I'm talking about supply chain on quarter, what does that mean? And this is meant to illustrate, you know, what I talked about earlier that, you know, we started in trade finance, we started in insurance, but all of these things are interdependent. Once you have your supply chain management on Corda, you can access these other features that you don't have to build yourself. So if you realize, oh, I want to offer letters of credit to my suppliers. Well, you can do that, but you don't have to build it. You can just access another business network that has already done that. One of the things that I do at R3 as well is I work with our corporates that are building supply chain management software, and then I make sure that the platform works for them. And one of the early critiques that we had was that Quarter required every entity to have a node, and that was a result of the need to legally identify every node. But that doesn't work for supply chain because supply chain, you could have 10,000 suppliers and they're small suppliers. They're small and medium-sized enterprises. They don't have, they don't want to run a server. They don't know what that is. So we've re-architected a little bit to allow for multi-tenancy. So you can have one node that has multiple accounts within it that are then able to access the blockchain without actually having to run their own node. This is mobility writ large, right? So this is, if you're talking about airplanes or you're talking about cars, you're talking about trains or boats, all of these things basically have the same use cases. And a lot of them are interconnected. And the quarter allows you to do just because you have something built for the maritime industry doesn't mean you cannot use it for any other industry. And so we have a lot of templates then increasingly being formed that enable you to use this. Some use cases in the automotive sector, which I think were interesting, because it illustrates there's basically three types of applications you see being built in supply chain. The first is really around the documents. So auto insurance contracts, that's basically documents. The second is really looking at track and trace. So this is sustainable sourcing 
or spare parts tracking. And then the others are really around sort of tracking the vehicle itself in some way. So this is fleet management, which uses telematics, machine to machine payments. So if you have an autonomous vehicle that needs to get fueled up, then this particular one looks at a way that you would be able to use wallets to do that. Vehicle status changes. So we work a lot on the issue of how do you create the standards that enable different applications to work with each other? Because especially if you're talking about tracking a vehicle, you need to make sure that everybody's tracking that vehicle in the same way so, so that it can track from application to application. So we have spent a good deal of time on that. And then some case study examples, which a lot of people will be familiar with, like Marco Polo, which is open account trade financing, Contour, which is letters of credits, title transfer, procure to pay. What is 2021 going to look like? First is just that there's a lot of challenges that we need to recognize. Blockchain is great. Governance is really, really hard. You can build the technology to do anything, but often when you get to the features where you need to actually govern the business network, that becomes very difficult. And we've seen that be a big problem. Interoperability obviously is a big problem. I call it here overstated, mainly because we spend a lot of time working with other blockchains as well. We work with Hyperledger Fabric. We work with Ethereum in these different standards groups to make sure that we have some sort of standardized state objects that allow us to interoperate. But to be honest, none of the blockchain platforms are really ready to do that yet. It sounds important, but this technology is so new. I mean, we're starting out very small in order to make sure that it works and then you expand. So I think we're creating the infrastructure now for this expansion. So it's happening, but it's not something that's ready yet. And that goes to the issue of standards and small and medium-sized enterprise financing as well. So these are just different challenges that we see. Uh, on the interoperability side, if I take a different spin on that in the context of the corporate clients that you have, then maybe it's better to term it integration in that regard. What is the landscape like and the challenges and solutions that are available to integrate blockchain with standard ERP packages like SAP, etc., which might be a much more imminent challenge than interoperability between different blockchain platforms? Completely agree. And I think it's already being done. So if you look at Marco Polo, for example, one of the first things that they did was they created an ERP integration because in supply chain, it doesn't make sense to require all of your suppliers to use yet another platform. So what we've seen in all of them is they do have this native integration. Sometimes the integration is built by the application provider. Like in that case, it was built by TradeIX for NetSuite. In some cases, it's built by the ERP system, like Oracle is building an integration. It really is coming from all different directions. I mean, everybody recognizes that that is absolutely critical. The interoperability that I was talking about was between blockchains, but certainly if you're talking about between legacy systems and blockchains, that is happening and that is a critical piece of any infrastructure to make sure that it works. I wanted to iterate what are the business processes that blockchain is fundamentally changing. Because you can build a blockchain that does the same thing that a non-blockchain solution does. And that's fine. It probably does it better, but it's just different. But in fact, these are four areas where blockchain has really changed fundamentally how business operates. The first is peer-to-peer -peer payments. Before blockchain, we couldn't do that. You did payments through a bank. The second is tokenization of ownership. You owned one thing. Now you can have 10 owners. Third is new collaborative business models. And this is really talking about how we've moved the needle between collaborative behavior and competitive behavior. Because with blockchain, you really need competitors to work together in order to really receive all of the gains from blockchain in ways that they're not used to doing, which is part of the issues with governance, of course. 
And finally is the global update to the sort of electronic infrastructure. One thing that we saw before COVID and before blockchain is everybody kind of recognized electronic documents and electronic processes were good, but oh, they were expensive and maybe we'll do it next year and let me just wait. But I think after COVID and with blockchain, there's an acknowledgement that you don't have to wait, you don't need to wait, and you shouldn't. So these are really the four things that I think have fundamentally changed. I think it'll be really exciting to see what comes up in 2021. You had currencies on your list. Color itself doesn't have a native cryptocurrency on it. But for example, you're working with the Reichsbank in Sweden on the eKrona project and probably others. Central bank digital currencies are a hot topic that many folks are interested in and every central bank is covering. So is that the core focus area as well in 2021? It's definitely something that we are focused very heavily on right now. In fact, we have a working group occurring at the moment, specifically on central bank digital currencies. It has a number of central banks uh, participating, as well as regulators, really trying to work through these issues together of how do we do this in a safe and replicable way? Because there's, I mean, there's so many questions that you need to think about. I mean, from a Japanese perspective, in terms of digitalization, et cetera, probably is even more amplified in Japan, given that we're a bit behind in terms of still using paper and hankos and now we're getting rid of stamp. What's the view on interaction with Japanese, especially financial services clients, but also more broadly, has the crisis slowed things down or do you see an increase in activity and requests for digital type projects? From an R3 perspective, we've continued to work with Japanese clients throughout this process and haven't seen a difference. I've been watching with great interest this switchover for this like sort of war on faxes and damn. And that really, you know, it's not an issue specific to Japan. This is an issue that we really see in countries all over the world where there's this focus on paper and having physical signatures, despite the fact that there are laws that allow for digitization. Um, they're simply not applied in practice. I think it's not a specific issue to Japan. Simply the fact that you're saying business continued with Japanese clients as normal is a good indication that when forced with the pandemic as it stands, Japanese were actually able to work remotely and continue to be productive and push the projects forward, which I think is something that we've consistently seen here. Do you like to make any final statement? Often you think, okay, well, you know, maybe it's regional or maybe it's very specific to Japan. But in fact, you know, what's happening in Japan is what's happening everywhere. The challenges, the motivations for using blockchain, for going digital, we're seeing that globally. And I think that gives a lot more power to what's happening. Because before, even when I joined R3 three years ago, the question was, well, you know, really, why do I need blockchain? And now I would imagine none of us are really getting that question. In fact, the question that we're getting is how can I use blockchain? I really want to use it for this problem where I have this very specific problem I can't solve any other way. And particularly after COVID, it's just happening on a global scale. I mean, it's no longer acceptable to have to sign a piece of paper in person. In fact, it's dangerous. So if we found that we can go digital in an emergency, then certainly we can go digital in normal times. So I think this is really what's pushing everybody forward. And it's pretty exciting. I mean, I'm, I'm really excited to see what's going to happen, you know, in the, in the coming years with this. This was great fun again. Appreciate you taking the time. Appreciate sharing insights. Thanks very much.